Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Mission is messy. Mission is messy. Now, depending on how old you are, that statement is going to have different meanings to you. Depending on how old you are, I say that loosely, that statement is going to have a different kind of impact. You're going to receive that differently. You see? The young people might hear that as a generalization and think mission is messy. Mission is messy, fam. Mission is hard. Mission is, and then all of the other different kind of adjectives that they'd add in colloquial terms to describe something that is good. So if you want to hear it like that, that's all good. For most of us, we might hear it simply as mission is untidy. Mission is not straightforward. Mission is complicated. Mission is not neat. It is so important that we appreciate and understand that as a people. We see it throughout scripture. This morning as the boys jumped on the mic, a lot of you were sitting there nervous. I know I ain't lying. A lot of you were sitting there nervous because it was a a little bit too uncomfortable. It was a little bit too, dare I say, raw. Maybe I should say real. It was a little bit too close to the edge of, of whirliness in your frame of thinking. And you felt like, am I going to hear anything that I shouldn't hear any second now? And you kind of sitting on the edge of your seat thinking, Lord, praying with your eyes open. Just have your hand upon them, Lord. But you know what? The reality is that mission is messy. Some of us were sitting there with our theological earphones on thinking, is this all going to now fit my theology and my understanding of biblical framework of scripture? But you know what? Mission is messy. And the fact that we felt uncomfortable, maybe it's not an unusual or even a bad thing, but the fact that we felt so uncomfortable should be a challenge to us. How do we anticipate, how do we find ourselves in a place where the church can truly be a home for the homeless? Where it can truly be a hospital for the hurting? How do we get to that place where people can come seeking Christ and be welcomed and be accepted among the beloved? 
the genuinely seeking Christ. How do we get to that place if we constantly find ourselves in a, in a situation where when something is not according to our sensibilities, when something's not according to our preferences, according to our lifestyle and conveniences, that we kind of clam up and we kind of draw back and you know, we pray at arm's length and we don't encourage and we don't embrace. Mission is messy. And when we grasp the reality of that and we wrestle with the, the truth of that matter, we will have greater peace within our hearts and a greater effectiveness as we give ourselves to mission. Turn with me to John 13, if you will, please. We're going to see Jesus give an illustration of the fact that mission is messy. And this provides the backdrop to the continuation of the story last week. But it's something that I realize that needs to be highlighted and emphasized, especially among us who are people of the book. We're people of the Bible. We love the word of God and so we should. We believe the word of God. We stand on it. We search it out. We, we strive to understand it. So we should. We would be slipping. We would be slacking if we did not do that. We're people of the book. But that can't be where it stops. We have to be people of the people also. John chapter 13, taking it from verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. So just pause there for a second. Jesus knew that this was it, final furlough of his life and ministry. Home straight. Back in the day, my grandma used to love watching horse racing. My grandma watching horse racing. And she was, it's not even that she was a betting woman. It's not like she's sitting there thinking, you know, a pension's going to get doubled right about now. And there was, a, there was a, a famous horse that I always used to hear the name. Red Rum. Red Rum. And when Red Rum was on the final furlong, Granny would get excited because she always liked to see Red Rum win. Maybe she was secretly betting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what it's like when you're, you, you've had a hard, hard day's work. You've had a hard week. Friday's in sight. The finish line's in sight. And you get a bit of momentum and you get a bit of impetus. You get a bit of motivation. Okay, it's not too long now. 
going to hit the finish line. And this is where Jesus was at in his life and ministry. And it says, think about what he does at this point. Knowing that everything counts. People have long since recognized that the, the words of a dying man are words that you pay close attention to. Jesus knew that his time would come. And so he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded, meaning tied. So he kind of had a towel, towel tied around him and he had it hanging down. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Now, Peter was a fisherman, so it's quite likely he had some rough feet. Some bunions, and some calluses, and some tough skin. You know, they used to wear sandals in those days, and it was sandy streets and whatever, and he's there, and he's on the road. And I don't know... And I don't get the impression it was because he was ashamed of his feet that he was saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, undoubtedly, there was a self-consciousness there. But Jesus had assumed the, the role and the posture of the most lowest of all servants in the household. Within the household of servants, you would have a hierarchy. And maybe the, the butler or the cook would have had a higher ranking in the household than the servant who washed the guest's feet when they visited. That servant was the lowest of the low. And Jesus took the position of the lowest of the low in the household. And Peter wasn't comfortable with this. Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now. But you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, <laughs> wow, that's deep. Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Peter doesn't want to get left out. It's, you know, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part in me. Well, if that's the case, then wash all of me, Lord. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also 
ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, full stop. If you know these things, blessed are you. Evidently, it doesn't end there, right? Knowing is not enough. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. I think the Lord really is challenging us today. The Lord is challenging us. You see, Jesus took the role of the lowest servant and he washed the feet of the disciples. We have difficulty washing one another's feet. In a metaphorical sense. Now, when I was growing up in church, and you know what, I, I just, I'm not even going to make any apologies, i just tell you from now. I would imagine that as long as I'm in the pulpit, ministering the word of God, you're always going to get insights from my life experience. That's just the way it is. And so if you're tired of hearing them, the Lord help you. <laughs> When I was growing up in church, we used to have foot washing service. So I said, wow, you know. <laughs> and we used to take off our shoes and socks. And we'd have metal basins, metal bowls. And we would have warm water. And the, there would be a queue, like a, a line of people, and the music would play. And we'd sing songs of praise. And then you'd have the front benches. And then you'd kind of just file into the front benches and take your place. And the ministers would wash feet. And then some people, after they had their feet washed, they would literally go and get behind a basin, nudge someone off, and they would start washing feet as well. Now some of you are thinking, if you ever saw my feet, you know that I would not be going up to get my feet washed. There's a great deal of humility in even having your feet washed, right? <laughs> if you saw my feet, you wouldn't be trying to wash my feet. <laughs> you see my toes come like monkey. <laughs> well, fool for Christ's sake. <laughs> And we literally had foot washing service. And you know what? It was a beautiful, I can't even lie, it was a beautiful aspect. It was strange. And it was, for many, uncomfortable. And it was optional. You didn't have to do it. But it was a practical expression of an underlying truth. And this isn't what Jesus says when he says, do this to one another. We can do that. But you see, 
it's understanding the meaning of it and applying the meaning of it more than the method. Because just as much as we'd wash one another's feet and people would go and get their feet washed and people would be washing feet, when the water had been drained off down the plug hole and the basins had been put away and the towels had been thrown in the washing machine, there was still beef. And people weren't washing one another's feet from day to day and week to week. To the point where you sit down and you say, okay, well, what does this really mean then? I mean, we're doing this, but what's the point? Because the way we treat one another suggests that we're doing this in, in, in practice, but not in principle. And this is the point. <clears throat> Washing one another's feet. I think the Lord is challenging us to wash one another's feet. He's challenging us to have our feet washed. Based on the fact that we have already been washed and made clean by the blood of the Lamb. When Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me, that's what he's speaking about. The fact that we're only cleansed spiritually through the working of his blood, the power of his blood being affected on our behalf so that we can be declared righteous. But I think there's something deeper here going on that we need to understand and appreciate. And it helps us to appreciate even more that mission is messy. Why would the people need to have their feet washed if they've already been cleansed? People would need to have their feet washed because their feet got dirty. Their feet got dirty by reason of going about their daily affairs, going about their daily business, walking around in the dusty streets, the dusty avenues, the dusty lanes. And I think there's a challenge here for us because for so many of us, we don't want to get our feet dirty. We want to stay at home with our feet up in front of the TV. We want to stay at home with our feet Nicely tucked under our pillow on our bed as we chill, watching the world of Facebook go by. We don't want to get our feet dirty. We want to put on our house slippers, the big fluffy warm ones, and just relax. Or we want to just put on our football boots and Go and kick ball. But we don't want to get our feet dirty. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God and it talks about having the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Have you ever wondered why the Lord connected the gospel with feet? Some of you have probably heard many sermons on the armor of God and you haven't heard much said about that. But it is given to us as believers to move the message of the gospel. And if there's any aspect of our being that keeps moving, it's our feet. Our life has been designed and purposed in Christ for our feet to get dirty. 
And that will often mean going into uncomfortable places and dirty places as we carry the message of the gospel. <clears throat> Mission is messy. Mission is messy. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Even the one he knew would betray him. Even the one he knew that would sell him out. Even the one he knew that would reject him. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Even the one who wouldn't receive him. And for some of us, that's the point at which we kind of stop and we say, all right, so this is what I've got to do. And I'm happy to do it, my friends and my family. And, you know, I'll be a witness to them and I, you know, encourage them to come to church or share the gospel, share my testimony, give them a track, point them in the direction of a book or... But not them especially wicked sinners. Not those... Ones that are living those ungodly and abhorrent lifestyles. No, I, 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 can't, go, I can't go near, that, that's a bit too dirty for me. Mission is messy. Mission is messy. And over the years of doing evangelistic mission, We came across the problem. How do we connect? Because the reality is we found ourselves in a place where we had to repent. We realized that for so long, we had sat down expecting not to get our feet dirty. We sat down expecting the people to come to us. We were expecting the fish to jump in the boat. We had neglected the fact that Jesus said, go, go. And we realized that, you know what? No one ain't coming. They, they weren't flooding through the doors to come and hear the gospel. They weren't beating off the door on a Sunday morning to get the best seat. And so the question, how do we connect, Lord? How do we connect with a generation who are disconnected from you? Whose hearts are divided. Who have heard the gospel. We live in a quote-unquote Christian country. It's, it's in our constitution as a nation. And yet, what does that mean in practice? How do we reach a people who have grown up in a general sense with an awareness of the gospel all around? Well, touched on it last week. R&R. &R. 
two, two. Now, for many, when they look at that, again, it has a certain meaning. If you look to R and R, if you're anywhere familiar with the phrase, what would you think that might mean? Rest and recuperation. Is that a medical term? Where's Dr. Julia? <laughs> Is that a medical term? Military. All right. R and R. R and R. Rest and recuperation. Rest and recuperation. Soldiers in battle looking forward to that opportunity for rest and recuperation. Looking forward to being able to have some time where they're not on the firing line, they're not on the front line, they're not under attack. They're not having to be alert 24-7 lest the enemy catch them unawares. The reality is that so many of us live in that place. And you know, granted, life is hard. Life is challenging. But to quote again, a quote I heard from um, Pastor Don McClure, I mean, absolutely enormous. There are so many Christians living in a war zone with a holiday mentality. The world is at war spiritually. There is a fight going on every single day, which is a life or death battle. And it's the battle for souls. And so many of us find ourselves in that place where we're looking for rest and recuperation. When we should be offering rest and recuperation to our hurting world. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Find rest for your souls. And Jesus has provided us with rest. But are we trying to camp there? Are we trying to stay there? Are we not trying to get our feet dirty? Mission is messy. R and R. R&R, for the believer, in the context of mission, should mean something else. On one hand, it is rest and recuperation. That's what we have found in Christ. That's what he has done for us. It is rest and recuperation. Hebrews 4 says that we have found rest in Christ. No longer do we have to try and fulfill the works of the law in order to be right with God. But Christ has done the work for us. In John, someone said to Jesus, Master, what should I do that I might work the works of God? He said, do this. This is, this is what you ought to do to work the works of God. Have faith in the one whom he has sent. 
See, that's where we find true rest, through faith in Christ. And having found that rest, our and our ought to mean something different to us. It should be a, a sound, it should be a call to action. It should be a rallying cry. It should be the mandate that we seek to fulfill having been enlisted into the master's service. R and R for us as believers. Relate and reveal. We looked last week at examples from the life of Paul, examples from the life of Jesus, among many others, where they'd done exactly that. They took steps in practical ways to relate to those around them in order to have opportunity to reveal the gospel. And the reality is that it's not neat. It's not tidy. It's not straightforward. It doesn't always go according to plan. But it's something that we're to be committed to, however messy it is. I want us to think about two analogies that Jesus gave relating to mission. Two analogies that he gave. He painted a picture Jesus always spoke in word pictures. And he painted a picture of mission. And that picture would have been very clear to the hearers of his day. For those who heard him in that time, they would have had a different picture to what we would have had. Consider this. The picture of fishing. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. At least a third of the 12 disciples were fishermen. It may have been more, but we don't have an insight to all of their backgrounds to that extent. We also realize that they grew up in a fishing culture. They grew up in a fishing culture. So all of them would have had either first-hand experience or at least an understanding of fishing. Fishing as a mission. Not trying to make that rhyme, please. Fishing. Now the most common type of fishing practiced in that time was dragnet fishing. Dragnet fishing was where they would have a, a net about 300 feet in diameter. And the net would have lead weights on the bottom of it. And they would go out in two boats and one boat would have a net, some of the net on this side and one boat would have some of the net and they would go in opposite directions and they would form a big circle and they'd drop down that net. And you'd have cork floaters on the top and weights on the bottom and the net would stand like a big wall and it would get laid out. 
Now, for any of you who were in Jamaica last year, you might remember seeing some of the fishermen doing that in the, in the evening as the sun was setting. I stood there thinking, what are these guys doing? I, I didn't, I'd never been familiar with that type of fishing before. I couldn't even, up, up until I started looking into this, I couldn't work out how it was supposed to work. I didn't understand that they had weights on the bottom of the net and that they was going to lay it out and then just take the time and pull it in, closing the net and gathering everything that was within it. But that was one of the most common forms of fishing. And so when Jesus talked about being fishers of men, this would have come to mind in the minds of the hearers. Now, one of the things we see about this is that it involves team. Team working together. Mission is a personal and yet collective responsibility. I spoke last week about personal evangelism being one of the probably most effective means of mission. Speaking to people personally. And we'll see that in the next example. And yet likewise, there's that necessity to work as a team. We see that fishing of this sort is best done at night. Not in the heat of the day. But they would go out at night and do this type of fishing. When the waters were quieter, when there were less distractions, less noises to scare the fish away. And so they would go out at the least convenient time. For us as believers, we're called to go out into the night. Most of us want to curl up under our duvet at night. And I don't mean literally. We're going to do some midnight evangelism at Leicester Square. I mean, it may happen. But it's not a convenient time to go out. Another type of fishing that would have been common during that time is the cast net approach to fishing, fishing, cast net approach to fishing. And we see with the cast net that it was a smaller net, 15 to 20 feet in diameter. Again, it would have had weights on it, but as opposed to being laid out in a big circle and dropped as a wall, it was used by an individual and they would skillfully have to cast the net out so that as they threw it, it opened fully and landed on the water. And then as it done so, the weights would drop and then they would draw in the net and all that was in it. And that was something that was done more often by individuals. And it required a degree of skill, but also commitment and again, a willingness to get messy. 
You see, with cast net fishing, someone had to get into the water to drag the fish to shore ordinarily. We see this demonstrated in John 21. Someone had to get wet. I once heard a, a, a gospel analogy about salvation, which I thought was great. We were all drowning in the sea of sin. And God didn't stand on the side shouting instructions to us. Just throw your right hand and then throw your left hand and keep your fingers closed so the water doesn't go through and kick your legs and you could do it. You can save yourself. God didn't throw us a lifeline, as you might think, in the hope that we might have the strength to grasp it and hold on. Rather, God dived in himself and he pulled us to safety. He saved us. We had no strength and no ability to save ourselves. We had no know-how, no capacity, nothing. We couldn't have even held on to the lifeline if one was thrown. Jesus dived in and saved us when we couldn't save ourselves, when we couldn't help ourselves. The scripture tells us that in Philippians, that Jesus did not think it robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't taking anything away from God because he was God. And yet, he took on the likeness of sinful flesh and became a man. And the Bible tells us that it required him to humble himself to do that. I once heard a brother say, that was like someone saying to you, Okay, look, you have the power to save all the roaches in Chinatown. <laughs> you have the power to save all the roaches in China. You're thinking, I ain't going to go save no roaches in Chinatown. I just got to stamp them all out. They shouldn't be there anyway. But in order to save the roaches, you have to become a roach. And it's not just that you have to become a roach, but you have to come a roach and be exterminated on their behalf. Rent a kill is going to come and deal with you. You see, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. <clears throat> In him, the complete and total image of the Godhead dwells. And yet he left heaven. He experienced the kenosis, the emptying of himself, where certain aspects of his godly attributes were muted. They were, they were muted. Now, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so it's not that he lost them, but... They were restrained, they were muted, they were, they were withheld as it were. 
constrained to his humanity in order that he might come alongside us and enable us to relate to God because God is so vast we could never know him. We could never understand him. It's like that phrase, you can't see the wood for the trees. God is so great. He's way beyond our comprehension. And he had to translate himself into terms that we could understand. And the only way to do that was for the God of heaven to become a man. A man becoming a roach doesn't even compare. He took on the likeness of sinful men. And yet... He humbled himself unto death. And not just any death, but the death of the cross. And this is the extent that God went to, to reach us. Mission is messy. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. Mission is messy. God jumped in the water. And when we go fishing, we got to get in the water. Mission is messy. The fish had to be separated. Not just from the stuff that was dragged in with the fish. All kinds of stuff could have been down there. Old sandals, rocks, coins. All kinds of things would have been in the water. But not only did the fish have to be separated from debris, but the fish had to, separated, had to be separated between that which was suitable and that which wasn't. Because under Levitical law, they couldn't deal with fish that didn't have fins or scales, so like eels. They had to throw those kind of fish back. And so they had to separate the suitable from the unsuitable. And often when we go fishing, there are those who are just clearly time wasters. They just want an argument. So, did Adam have a belly button then? <laughs> like, a salvation rests on the fact that Adam had a belly button. Where did Cain get his wife? And a multitude of other just questions that even if answered really, is that going to further the person down the road to salvation? Is it going to cause them to really put their faith in Jesus? Where Cain got his wife? Adam had a belly button. And there are those people that we get to the point where, you know what, we realize if we spend more time with them, we're going to be casting our pearl before swine. And they're just going to tire us out and frustrate us. And take time away from us being able to spend time with someone who may genuinely desire to know the truth. And so there is that need for us to be discerning as we go fishing. To separate the fish from the suitable and the unsuitable. 
But we've got to be willing to do it. The fish had to be cleaned. Now, <laughs> how many people like cleaning fish? How many people like to eat fish? All right. Well, when you got fresh fish, I'm not talking about, you know, the fish in the packet from the cold counter. <laughs> fresh fish. It smells and you got to gut it. There could all be worms in there. Lord have his mercy. Fish, you got to be cleaned. It's a dirty job. But someone's got to do it. Fish stink. I remember watching a program and there was a guy who was a fisherman. And he'd go out on the boats every day fishing. And when he came home, they had an outhouse for him. When he came home, he couldn't come in the house and get changed because he stunk. He had to go in the outhouse, take off his clothes in the outhouse, and he had to give himself the first round of washing in the outhouse before he even got in the house to have a bath. Fishing is a dirty job. Salt. The other illustration, among others, but the other we're going to look at today, and we touched on it last week, Jesus talked about us being salt and light, and there's certain aspects to the use of salt in first century culture that is worth thinking about when we consider the fact that mission is messy. In Luke 14, 34, it says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt was commonly used in many different ways. And the strength of the salt was its flavor. It's saltiness. And evidently we're to be salty for a purpose. And one of the first things that that tells us is that we are, even in our interactions with the world, we're to maintain our distinction. We're to maintain our identity. We're to maintain our Christ-likeness, even as we engage in mission. In the world, but not of it. And as we become too much of it, we lose our purpose. One of which was to prevent decay. And I talked about this last time. To help prevent decay. Salt was used extensively to flavor food. And it was actually seen as a mark of hospitality within the culture. It was used as a, a symbol, as a metaphor for hospitality. Spice of life. In fact, there was, there was such a, a covenant called a covenant of salt. 
And so it became somewhat of a metaphor for hospitality. And we're to be given to hospitality. Hebrews tells us, be hospitable lest you entertain angels unaware. Salt was also used as an antiseptic. They would rub newborn babies with salt. Now we know that newborn babies are not the most delightful, tidy bundles of joy when they come forth. And to help avoid infection and so on, they would rub that newborn baby in salt. Obviously to a lighter extent. So salt was used as an antiseptic. But there was another use of salt that really does help us to appreciate just how messy mission really is. Salt, in first century culture, was put on manure. Now, do I need to explain what manure actually is? In the verse that we looked at, verse 35 in Luke 14, it said it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. Often the cheapest salt was used to salt the land. When they had a piece of land that they didn't want to become, be, be fertile anymore. And often it was seen when in Old Testament scriptures it would talk about being the land being salted. And it was a mark of judgment. This land's not going to be fertile because what does salt do? Salt absorbs water, right? And so with the land being heavily, salt, heavily salted, that salt would absorb the water and hinder fertility. But there was also another use for salt. They would lightly salt manure. And the reason that they would lightly salt manure was to aid in the decomposition or the breaking down of the manure. Jesus said that we're to be salt. Think about that. We're to be salt. Mission is messy. I remember one time we went to um, Northampton. Our church headquarters were there and they'd just recently opened the building. They'd recently purchased the building. And we were walking around on the land. They kind of had an open day for the churches to come and see the new headquarters and see the new building and see the, um, the, the land and so on. And it was just a big stately building that had been kind of run down and the, the denomination had bought it, taken it over, and it was in the middle of some fields. And so, I mean, obviously it was no interest to me, but my grand wanted to go, and if she wanted to go, I had to go. 
And so I went to Northampton and having explored the bell tower where all the pigeons were, me and my friends decided to just go out into the fields and ramp, run up and down. <laughs> and I remember one of my friends running and falling over and being greeted by a big pile of cow pat. I think he still probably gets cussed about that to this day. <laughs> it was hilarious. For us at least, anyway, not for him. Imagine, we're called to be sought. We're called on those necessary occasions even to have to sort manure. It shows us, you know, there's no place that is too dirty. There's no person too raw. There's no one that is supposed to be unreachable in the framework of God's kingdom, in the framework of God's mission. And we actually are in sin when we resist the leading of God to reach these people. Because it's part of who we are. It's part of our mandate. It's part of our very reason for being. What a blessing it was yesterday to be able to see the guys from the gangs on the park, among the families, behaving themselves. What a blessing. You know, that's called saltiness. For someone's phone to go missing and have it be handed back. Bruv, what kind do you, do you know what kind of phone it was? What? Person's phone went missing. It was, I mean, evidently taken. And Pastor Robert put out an appeal, which I'm sure many would have thought was, <laughs> like, like I said, is a man of faith. That was a faith-filled appeal, bruv. If you took the phone, please just, Let's bring the, bring the phone back. It's family day today. Please just bring the phone back. We ain't going to judge you. Everyone's thinking, well, that's a wonderful pill, bruv. <laughs> that phone's already in Brixton, exchanging hands. <laughs> Cash converters. Let's <laughs> get a chicken dinner out of that, boy. <laughs> The phone was given back. Praise be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Because such is the power of the church on mission. Such is the power of God as he works through us. God is good. God is faithful to keep his word. God is not a man that he would lie. And as we walk in his ways and fulfill his mandate, even as we prepare to wade in the water and get messy and get dirty, God will save such as those who have been appointed to salvation. It's his job to do the saving. I saw some absolutely just, <laughs> Mikey P just come back. When did you come back, bro? 
last Sunday. So he, he just about touched down and Mikey P was there yesterday. And as things were kind of winding down, Mikey was gone. Tracks in hand. All I could see was Mikey. So are you a good person? He said, yes, Lord. Because these guys had hung around the day, just chilling. I spoke to one brother. He says, you know what? We're off duty today. We're not on post. Phones are off. We're just here as family day, innit? We're just chilling. I said, praise God. <laughs> God had appointed this time for you to be here. And we were able to share the gospel and we were able to talk to people. And it would never have happened if we hadn't rolled up our sleeves and rolled up our trousers and said, look, let's get dirty. Let's get our feet dirty. Let's get out there. And so this is our mandate. And we as a local church, Calvary Chapel, South London, it is with this mindset that we have been birthed. Seven years ago, Calvary Chapel started in that adventure playground. In that same hut. That's where we started. And it started as the fruit of mission. And we are a mission-minded church. And you know what? There are going to be more and more occasions when you're going to sit down feeling uncomfortable. There are going to be more and more occasions when you're going to be challenged to step out of your comfort zone. And it's not, what's going on ain't going to fit your theology and your framework of thinking. But remember, mission is messy. And yet God brings forth fruit from those fields laced with manure. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness towards us and for the fact that you did dive in and rescue us, that you did cause us to be brought into the light by you. And Lord, you have cleaned us through the power of your blood and the washing of the water of your word. And you have used others to clean us so many of us, Lord, we forget where we're coming from. We forget how we were living. We forget how we were when we came into church. And yet, Lord, you cleaned us up. And you, you've transformed us. And you've appointed us to go out as your ambassadors. To go out on mission, however messy it may be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that we do not go in our own strength. But we go reliant upon you. Have your way among us, Lord, we pray. And Lord, I pray for the individual, for those who may be here who have yet to surrender to you. They've yet to allow you to transform their heart and life. I pray, Lord, that you would speak peace to their souls, Lord, right now. That, Lord, you would help them to know and appreciate that they're able to receive 
rest and recuperation in you. You see, sin has ravaged the world. Sin has ravaged our communities. Sin has ravished our lives. Causing us to be broken and hurting. It's evidence of the fact that we are sinners. That we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory, your standard of perfection. And that we rightly deserve the consequence of our sin, but you didn't leave us to get exterminated like roaches. But you took on the form of a man, a sinful man, that we might be able to relate to you. That we might be able to identify with you. That we might be able to appreciate and understand your love for us. In order that we would be saved. And so Lord, I pray that that truth of hope, that truth of a home in you, that message of your kingdom would blaze in hearts right now, Lord. And that it would cause people to turn to you, to turn from sin, to turn to you and receive life. continue to strengthen us as a church Lord as we set our sights on mission build us, grow us Lord use us Lord we pray in Jesus name Amen